You're listening to Leveling Up, and I'm Arielle, your host. Hello, and welcome back to Leveling Up with Arielle Miller. I am so excited for this week's guest. I feel like I always say I'm so excited, and there's no other way to really indicate my true enthusiasm because I really am authentically so excited. But my guest for this week is Tiffany Ragazzino from The Pretty Little Lifters, who is also an educator and she teaches PE, but I don't want to kind of share about her because she's so special. I want her to kind of dig in a little bit about who she is, what she is, where she works, all that jazz. So Tiffany, can you go ahead and introduce yourself to my listeners, please? Yes. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. I have been listening to your podcast and obviously I love it. You're also an educator and we have met in the fitness world. So it's just been so fun to chat with you and to have shared experiences and like-minded thoughts. So I'm really excited to be here. Super honored and grateful. So thank you. Yeah. So I'm over here in West Hollywood in Los Angeles and I'm from La Mirada, which is about like 28 miles away from here. That would be thanks to my GPS. That's how I know that when I try to look at, see how much traffic there is when I try to go visit home. Are you but, one of those people though, who like GPS everywhere you go? Cause I'll GPS everywhere I go places I know how to get to just so I know how long it's going to take. Do you do I that? Do, I kind of do that as well because I want to know the time because I, especially I feel like in Los Angeles, you just never know. I was like, is this going to be like a 30 minute situation or is it going to be like an hour? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah, no, definitely. And yes, I am a physical education teacher. I am currently working at an all-girl public school here in LA, and I'm super excited about this. I've always wanted to work at an all-girl school. I went to an all-girl high school, and it was super impactful on me. And it's always been my dream to work at a school. So when I found out there was a public all-girls school, I was super excited. And I actually started in elementary school. So I taught elementary school for 10 years. And then I decided to take a leap into physical education. And I think I wanted to do it for a while, but I was a little hesitant. And this is no disrespect to other physical education teachers out there, but I kind of felt like it had a stigma from just like when you watch movies, like everyone knows if you were to picture your gym teacher, and I don't even like to say gym teacher, but that's what they do in the movies. Like if you picture your PE teacher, like you have a vision of what they may look like, like a stereotype. But yeah, I don't know. So it took me a while to get there. But eventually, like when I started my fitness journey, especially I think it was around like 2006, I got really into kettlebells and, you know, eventually started lifting when I started CrossFit in 2013, I believe I just wanted to start bringing that more into the classroom. So I started incorporating more fitness and health with my students. And we had great lessons, I would take them outside, we do like fun movement breaks. And then I finally was like, all right, I think it's time to just dive into this as my full subject. And I could just focus on this and really create a difference in this field. Did you have to go ahead and get your PE credential because you were an elementary school teacher and then you're also now teaching secondary. So did you have to go ahead and get your PE credential? Yes. So I had my multiple subject credential. And the great thing is once you have a credential already, it's a lot easier to add additional credentials. So all I had to do was I went back and took the CSET in physical education. And then you do have to take a methods class. So I took like a methods class through UCLA extensions, I think it was. And yeah, that's, that was what I had to do. And I also was 
you know, like I had my CrossFit certification already and I, I was a group fitness instructor. So I already had this knowledge base, which actually helped with the PE test as well. So that was really nice. That test is really hard. I've looked at it because like you, I also teach group fitness. I moonlight as a group fitness instructor, I shall say. It also depends on who I'm who I'm talking to. They're like, what do you do for work? And it depends on my audience where I'm like, oh, I'm in fitness or I'm in education. And then I'll be talking to someone and they're confused. They're like, what? I thought you said you were in fitness. I was like, I am, I am. I'm also an educator. And they're like, what? In any case, <laughs> like I do both. You can do and you can be both and you can do and be anything you want to be. But I've looked at that test because there have been times where I'm like, you know, I think I want to teach PE. I think I want to make this a full-time gig. And that test is hard. Yeah, I will say I made the mistake of because obviously I was teaching full-time and I didn't pass it the first time because I tried to take it all at once. And I was just kind of depending on my knowledge that I had from my other fitness credentials outside of the California state test. And I was really busy with work and I was like, oh, like, I'll just take them all at one time because there's three parts to the test. I shouldn't have done that because that's a lot of content. It's all day. It's all day. And yeah. so I definitely recommend um, if you are thinking of getting another credential, break up the test because why not? You have the time and focus on each section. So I ended up going back and like booked each text because I passed, I think like one or two of them. And then I went back and just did that other piece. And it was so much easier. I was like, why didn't I do this from the get-go? But yeah, there was definitely a lot of questions that had to do more with like law stuff, just liability. And like that stuff was a little newer to me because obviously it had to do with more of a school setting. So instead of like a gym setting. I love that you took that leap though. It's super inspiring. I was thinking when you were sharing that when I had met you, we met at Brick CrossFit and you were in elementary at the time. And then we've been following each other on social media forever and ever. And then I remember when you made that leap into PE and it's a really amazing thing to be able to see people pursue something that appears to be a polar opposite. Like you went from elementary to then secondary PE. It's like a total polarization, but It makes sense if you think about it, because you leave school and you had mentioned that you also teach group fitness, but you're spending time in a gym, in a group fitness environment with other participants, and then also teaching your own classes and things like that, that it doesn't really seem like so much of a departure because it's just an extension of your lifestyle. So why I really wanted to have you on the show was as I followed your journey and as somebody who works in education and I coach teachers. I'm always continually amazed by the things that I see you do with your students and how you've really, I'm going to say elevated the PE landscape. And I'm going to say elevated is the right word because you have your students doing remarkable things that make my heart sing and dance. And then from a standpoint of like, forget about the physicality, but you have your kids thinking and goal setting and doing all these remarkable things. So what I would love to hear more from you is how do you lead your PE classes? What sets them apart from the way you were raised? I was raised. And you mentioned gym class before I grew up on the East coast. So we didn't call it PE. We called it gym and gym class and a gym teacher. So when I moved out here, I was like, what's PE. Oh, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and we called like those things. You, what are those things that you wear to PE class on your feet? What do you call them? Sneakers, like shoes. Oh, oh, you call them sneakers? Okay, because people call them tennis shoes. And I was like, do you go play tennis all the time in those shoes? Oh my gosh, how funny. (laughs) (laughs) They're sneakers. So I would love to hear more about what sets your classes apart from 
potentially how we were raised, how you were raised, or even from other people? Yeah. So something that I remember and that I associated with PE, and maybe that's why I never saw myself in that space, because I think of a lot of people who go into that field of like PE, they were former athletes that maybe they went in college, they got their undergrad degree in something in that field. So I didn't fit that mold. Like my undergrad was in psychology with a minor in education. I, you know, I like to say I was like a well-rounded athlete. I just casually played sports in high school. I did like a sport a season. So I never felt like that was my life. And when I thought about PE class and just like my experience with it too, I always equated it with learning a sport. And that kind of disconnected me. And it's like, I enjoy sports. I played different sports in different seasons, but like, I remember a class being like, okay, now we have our soccer unit. It was just that. Okay. Now we have a bowling unit. Now we have a basketball unit. So it was really just tied to sports. I didn't learn how to squat. I didn't learn how to do a deadlift and move my body. I didn't learn how to do proper Like, I didn't know what a plank was until I was an adult, you know, (laughs) and just like different things and how they're evolving. So yeah, it was really, and you're talking, you're talking about functional movement. Yeah. I'm talking about (laughs) functional movements. I did not learn how to move my body in a functional way. There was the fitness gram or some people, the presidential fitness gram, like people know it where you had to run the mile. You had to like reach for your toes and test your flexibility. You had to do your pushups and your crunches. And like, that's the kind of stuff I remember dreading to run the mile. <laughs> like, Do you remember? Did you have to do that over there? Yes. Yes, okay. I did. I mean, we, st- we did it and they're still doing it. And what blows my mind is about the advances that we've had in PE and just in in general, as far as kinesiology is concerned, that the testing is archaic. It's so archaic. And that was one of the things coming into PE. I was like, they still do the fitness gram. They're still asking us to weigh students and check their body composition. Like my mind was blown. I was like, what year is it? It just felt like it was a department that was neglected. And that's definitely something that inspires my teaching. So you asked me about kind of how I structure my classes and I say PE because it's easy for people to understand, but like, I usually will tell PE people I teach PE and health or, and we have a very like a wholesome program in terms of like, we look at physical health, mental health, social well-being. We learn about body confidence. We also learn about nutrition. So all those components that we see adults struggling with right now, that's what I'm trying to teach in school so that we can alleviate some of those issues that we have dealt with as adults and teach the kids this stuff so that they can have these tools and knowledge so that maybe they don't have to deal with as much as we did. Or even deal with the fact that the population that we service has really high incidence of diabetes and Mm -hmm. heart disease and things like that. I worked with a former colleague of mine. She was a teaching assistant of mine and I had gone to her house to cook dinner for her and her family. She had had a minor surgery and I said, let me come over. Let me help you and your family out. You can, while you're resting and recovering. And I made turkey meatballs and spaghetti. I'm a vegetarian, but they're not. And I was just respecting their dietary needs. I want to go full vegan. And my husband's like, you can't do that to people. You can't push your views. I'm like, but why? (laughs) So I made turkey meatballs, spaghetti, and I made a salad. And when we're sitting down at dinner, she says to me, I've never had a salad like this before. 
And I looked at her and I said, you're 30 years old. What do you mean? You've never had a salad like this before. And that was a real eye-opening moment for me because there's a cultural divide and there's a barrier. And it's not that she doesn't like salad or doesn't want salad, but she was never taught how to eat, what proper nutrients are, what a balanced meal is. The meal that I made wasn't a very expensive meal. Ground turkey, a 99 cent box of pasta, and then a, a bunch of vegetables that you throw in a bowl with a, some dressing. Boom. And they loved, the kids loved it. Oh, I love that. I love that you did that for them. And that's the thing is, and it's all about exposure too. And working in Los Angeles and having a really diverse population, like super diverse in terms of just the things that the kids have access to in their home lives. And that's why it's, it's a little tricky. And that's why I feel like when I say physical education, people just literally think of like running laps or kicking a ball or doing sports. But to me, I am so grateful that my administrator she's amazing. She's the one that opened the school, but gave me the freedom to develop this program. So I am the department head of my department PE. And I'm so grateful that I kind of got to shape what a lot of the stuff that we do now, because it is so different. And it's so much more than just kicking a ball around or moving our bodies and taking this fitness gram. And yeah, it's an ongoing development and challenge and program, but it's so fun to see kids experience things that they, I know if I wasn't doing it, they wouldn't have it. Well, there's a few things that I've seen you do with your students that I, I love that you have. I know that you have rowers for your students. Yes. We don't have them all year round, but we do have a grant where we get them like two to three times a year. And this was most of their first time on a rower. Like I never went on a rower until I was at a CrossFit gym in my same, you know, twenties and these kids got to be on a rower. And some of them even signed up to be a part of girls row LA in Marina Del Rey. And they're learning how to row on the water now. Oh, I love that. There was this great documentary on Amazon prime called the most beautiful thing along the lines about a inner city rowing team. That oh was gosh, started. Yes, I'll text it to you after so yes. you can watch it. But it's a remarkable story and it's got a lot of sad parts too, but it's a, a really inspiring thing. I love that. I love how you were able to bring something into your classroom that stoked an interest, a fire, and a passion. And the truth of the matter is, is, you know, we talked about how you're teaching the kids how to eat and empower them in these healthy habits, but giving our kids an opportunity to row, you're potentially giving them an opportunity for to join a rowing team, to get a college scholarship. Mm -hmm. So now you've opened up other opportunities for them. You've stoked that athlete within them, giving them self-worth, confidence, perseverance, grit, determination. But now you've also potentially opened up a door to send a kid who comes from a family where no one's graduated from high school that can now potentially go to college on a scholarship. Thank you for bringing that up. And access to me has been one of the most important things and something that I've kind of taken on as this role. I was like, okay, what things are maybe not accessible for this population? So maybe it's yoga classes and I bring in a volunteer yoga teachers and maybe it's basketball lessons or track. And I, I bring in guest teachers to, so they could experience and see different humans in this field do things. And I think to me, that is so much more valuable than just okay, here's some balls, go have free play. Like, you know, and and it happens. I see it. I see it happen at other schools. And I I know you've seen this before, but we did a partnership with a local gym in LA, Lift Society. Dylan, one of the co-owners, she's amazing. And we 
this goes back to like what resources are available. Not a ton. I don't get a huge budget for PE. Maybe I get like $200 a year. What can that buy you? Especially with fitness equipment, you know, it's expensive. And I have over 200 plus students and that's just my class. That's not counting the other PE teacher in like her class, but like we did a fundraiser with Lululemon last year and it was amazing. And we raised I think like 2000 plus dollars and we were able to buy barbells and lifting equipment for our classroom. And I am a huge advocate of getting girls to lift barbells. It just does amazing things for their confidence. When I started there, that was one of my number one priorities was to get barbells in this classroom somehow. So we did it and you should have seen like the energy, like you've seen it, you've been there, you know, in terms of like in a gym, watching women lift and like, It's just so empowering. And these girls were just so amazing and just such little badasses. It was so cool. I love that you have barbells. I have been saying for years and years and years is we need functional equipment and barbells and the access and opportunity and the expertise because you need educators that have the expertise to be able to confidently coach people around this equipment and teach the kids weight room etiquette and things like that. We've all been to a gym where people don't rack their weights and uh, 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 not okay. (laughs) But also when I was coaching the wrestling team, I find weightlifting to be sacred. And I explained to my girls that there's a respect for the weight and respect for the iron. It doesn't matter if it's your warm-up weight or your max out day. You approach the bar with the same respect each and every time. And people usually don't get injured on max out days. People get injured when they're willy nillying and they're just like, this is my warm up set and I'm deadlifting, you know, 80 pounds for reps. And that's when they get hurt. It's because they're not approaching it with that same fidelity at which you would approach a max out day. But there is a ferocious respect for yourself that gets cultivated that when you walk up to a bar and everyone has their own little ritual, I know, you know, cause you lift, yes, I have mine. <laughs> we all have it. I have a powerlifting background and a CrossFit background. And it's just like, there's this magical visceral thing about walking up to the bar and you get under it and you position yourself and then you step back it's and up. you squat. <laughs> and it is this feeling that every woman should experience in their lifetime. And especially the population that we service, they come from systemic repeated traumatic abuse in their childhood and in their home lives and being able to empower them to work through things using their breath and the power that they already have, you're cultivating so much more. And I love that they have that opportunity with you, but there is a magical relationship that happens with a barbell. And it kills me because I haven't touched one since March. Oh my gosh. (laughs) My heart hurts. Like it is killing me because I miss it so much, but it'll be that much sweeter when I get back to it. So what I'm curious to know is like, how is your approach received by your students? Like it's gotta be scary for them to encounter a barbell and the rower and things like that. Your approach as a whole to your health and PE teacher is markedly different than your colleagues, and I'm speaking generally when I say your colleagues, not necessarily at your school site, I'm talking for PE teachers. Mm -hmm. Because my experience and my observation in working with educators is I teach PE. We don't read. We don't write here. We don't talk. We stand in our line. We do our static exercises to warm up. 
and then you run laps around the gym. All right. Then we do our static cool down, go change. So how is this received by the kids? I have to say, I'm so happy how receptive they've been. And I will say you will always have students who don't like to move and they say they're not athletic or X, Y, and Z, but I will say at the end of the day, I think they all know and appreciate what they're learning and they know how lucky they are. And I definitely get so happy in my heart because I will randomly get emails or messages from them being like, thank you for teaching me this. Like I used to be scared of X, Y, and Z. And today I did this thing with you and I feel so awesome. And I'm like, oh my God, my heart, (laughs) this is amazing, but it's really cool. And I love feedback from my kids. And I don't know how many other educators in the PE space do this. I highly suggest you do. But at the end of every semester, I want feedback. And I tell them, what did you like? What did you not? What do you want to learn? What do you think will help you be a better young adult? Like, tell me what you need. And that's what I will teach you. So they are guiding the curriculum. So there was a big push for, you know, during this past semester, a lot of my high school girls had a lot of nutrition questions and I was already planning a unit on it for this spring semester, but I opened a Google form and I was like, you write any question you have here and I'm going to answer it and I will find you an answer. So like they are guiding my nutrition unit. So it's pretty awesome. And I remember, so funny story, we share a campus with another school and we, the other PE teachers get to see what we do. And I remember my first year there starting at the school, this is my third year teaching PE. One of the teachers saw me doing a gymnastics unit and I went big. I was like, you know what? This is my first year here. I need to get them engaged. We're going to have fun. We do a lot of gymnastics and like CrossFit and stuff. And I was like, we're going to kick it off with a gymnastics unit. They were so excited every single day. But I remember another teacher saw me and she's like, you're doing a gymnastics. She didn't work at my school. And she was just like, you're doing a gymnastics unit. Like, oh, this is dangerous. I'm like, they're fine. We will be fine. This is fine. And I mean, we had different levels. It was amazing. Like I was showing them how I was doing handstand walks and they thought I was the coolest thing. And I was just like, okay, (laughs) like it was just so fun. But like, that's what I'm saying. Getting out of that traditional box that we put it in. And that's the key is just shake it up a little bit. We don't have to do things like they've always been done. Well, that's the thing is just because this is how we's, we've always done things doesn't mean that it's the right and best way. And this is the conversation I have with teachers that I coach. And they're like, well, this is how I've always done it. And I said, yes, but students don't sit in rows in classrooms anymore. They sit in groups and they talk to each other. Yeah. (laughs) Like just because it's always been this way doesn't mean it's right. And it, it kind of leads me into another part of our conversation of the messaging that we get in the media, right. About the types of people we see in fitness or the influencers online and things like that is just because someone says that this is a number and this makes you fit, or this is how an aesthetic is. And this makes you fit. What we know is that that's not the truth. There are plenty of people that may have a larger frame and be fit and healthy and people have a smaller frame who are not fit and healthy. And just because someone says something doesn't mean that it needs to be taken as a, as a truth and as a fact, but you mentioned the fun aspect, engaging kids and getting them to 
move their bodies for the sheer joy and sheer pleasure of it continues to give them that want to come back to your class and that want to explore and try new things. And I, I want my listeners to be able to take that away in any endeavor that they're pursuing. The greatest way to engage people into selling a product that they don't want to buy is to sell them fun. <laughs> totally. I remember one PE class we were on, we share campus, like I mentioned, but we were on the football field and the football team, like the boys football team had this big tire and it was kind of on their side. And I was like, you know what? We're going to learn how to deadlift and flip a tire today. So we got into groups and that's what we did. And they did not want to stop. Like I literally was like, okay, we have to go now. We have to go change. The period is going to be over. You're going to be late to class. And they were just amazing. And some of the girls were like, I don't want to do it with the group. I want to do this one on my own. I can totally do it in with good form. And I was like, do it. It was so fun. So fun. <laughs> That's amazing. I mean, those are my favorite things. That's what I love about workouts like CrossFit is I love being able to, or even like strongman stuff where you're moving things that are unusually shaped. I love that. And it's, I mean, who doesn't want to lift a tire? It's so badass. When I was in New York this summer, I was at my cousin's house and he's in like a, I'm going to call it a rural area. It's Yorktown Heights and it's like upper Westchester. And he's very territorial about it not being rural. And I'm like, it's rural, but he didn't have any weights. And I had a weightlifting program to do, but there was just a storm and there was a whole bunch. And this is on my Instagram, by the way, there was a whole bunch of giant branches down in the backyard. So what I did is I went outside and I put myself through a workout using the giant logs and branches. I, I did that. chest press. I was squatting. I was snatching overhead squats, like pressing. It was amazing at yeah. the time of my life. And you're working differently because you have to hold this branch that's odd shape that you're not used to holding. So you're using different muscles and tendons and things that you wouldn't normally use. And it was awesome. And that's something that didn't cost any money. I just went out to the backyard and I was like, well, here we go. And it's so fun too, because there's like a pull-up bar outside. And like we now, because we have the squat racks, we have pull-up bars. But like one day after we did some warm-up runs, I took the girls over there. I was like, hey, we're just going to try to hang on the bar for like one to three seconds. Do what you can. And if you can't, just whatever. Who cares? And now, like when the girls are over there, like on their own, I see them jumping up on the bar. And it's just like, yes. This is awesome. <laughs> so it makes me think of something that in listening to the things that the movements that you're doing with your students, which are phenomenal. I was a collegiate athlete. I didn't have access to these things until I was in college. And even though I played competitive sports in high school, we went to the weight room and they put us through like these like little circuits because we were girls. I'm 38. So I graduated high school in 2000. So the world is a very different place now physically for women and fitness, but girls didn't lift barbells. Girls didn't lift weights. So I had no exposure going into college to barbells, pull-ups, things like that. And even in college as a collegiate athlete, we never did any of those things. Wow. Isn't that amazing? We did have weight room sessions, but I'm sure the boys did. <laughs> of course. So, but the other thing is it's stigmatized in society. Now there's a lot of fear especially from women who are afraid to lift weights because they don't want to look manly and they don't want to bulk up. Do you ever encounter that opposition with your girls? Because you service middle school and high school and they're hyper aware of appearance. And we have, we live in the age of social media. So have they, has this been an issue? Have they ever brought it up to you? 
so something that I did because of my experience of coaching women and having women tell me, I don't want to get bulky when I'm having them lift weights. Something that I did was before we started our lifting unit, I did a a pre-lesson on that whole topic. So before we even started the myths about women getting bulky, and then I did the opposite of like, what are the benefits of lifting? So I had the girls watch some videos. I had some articles for them. So this was part of our learning part of the lesson. So really kicking it off with that really helped them get into the mindset. Like this is good for me. This is not something that I need to be scared of in terms of bodies and things like that. So I think something like that, I think before I do any type of lesson where I think in the adult world too, there's that like controversy or like myths, I will try to bust them before we start. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I'm so glad that your students have access to you and the things that you do with them. I sit here and I'm like super jealous and I watch your stories and I'm like, God damn it. I wish I were in her class. This looks so fun. But I think of how many young athletes are going to continue to come through your classroom and what a blessed experience and opportunity this is for them to be exposed to it because it's not the norm. And I want my listeners to know that the materials that you have for your students that you've obtained for them, you've worked really hard to get for your kids. This is not commonplace in the PE sector for girls, especially because when even I was coaching sports teams, priority, even though we have Title IX, always goes to the boys and always goes to the football team. And I had to fight tooth and nail to get my girls access to the weight room. And even when I did get access to the weight room, it was during like a, a time that I was like, I, how am I supposed to get to the weight room between one to two? I'm teaching fifth period. Yeah, that's exactly what was happening with me, especially being a co-location school. There's a weight room with very like Globo gym equipment, standard stuff that you would mm-hmm. see. And I personally don't use equipment like that. I use a lot more free weights, but I still want my students to learn that because some of them are going to go to a gym that has that kind of equipment. And I want them to be smart and know how to use it safely. So I would kind of battle and find time to like get into that room. And mind you, so you walk in the door and there's a little placard above it and it says boys weightlifting room. And every team we walk in, the girls are like, why does it say boys weightlifting room? And I was like, wow, this is an old school and nobody has taken it down. It is one of my missions to get that sign taken down. (laughs) But that was a really good experience for me to have that conversation. And I told the girls, hey, this is a newer thing. I never had access to this. You are getting access to this because I'm bringing you here. This is important. I want you to learn this. I had the girls work in teams and they each got a machine and they had to teach the class. How does this machine work? What are the safety components you need to know? And it was so awesome. I was like, I wish I got to do that. When I was but I love age. how you're, you're really covering so much more than just the movement. You're teaching the kids how to present material to other people. So they're getting that orator experience where they have to speak and they have to present. And the thing is about the standards, because not all my listeners are are educators, but everyone is a English teacher according to Common Core. And you're this outlier in a beautiful way for the things that you do with your kids and getting your kids to speak and interact with each other and present and have to share content information in a way with other people that's valuable. I love how you recognize, though, that even though your personal interest is free weights and functional movement, that the reality of the situation is, is that your girls are going to get into the real world, into a gym, and even their passion and their interest doesn't have to be free weights. But most gyms are 
like a 24 LA fitness, whatever it is, it is that globo gym that we reference in the CrossFit world that has machines and being able to teach kids how to use them appropriately and how to create a program and be successful using that machines is also a really valuable experience. So I think it's really important to emphasize that you're so well-rounded and you see this big picture. And I think what happens a lot in the secondary level, because I'm a secondary teacher, I'm an English teacher. So I'm going to go to my grave fighting for English. English is the most important subject matter and things like that, right? But everyone's content matters. Everyone's interests matter. And the fact that you're so broad and that you recognize that is really valuable. So I wonder, and I just, I want to kind of pose this because I don't want to share my feeling unless maybe it works in here about how you feel about your role in your community as a PE teacher and a leader. Do you view your job as a teacher as a lifestyle versus a a job? I definitely see it as a lifestyle. And I think that's what helps me be a successful teacher is because I think the kids see it. They feel it. They know that being healthy and fit is important to me. They know that I want to create change in the fitness and health industry outside of this school as well. I know a lot of them follow me on social media, so they kind of know what I'm about. So they see their teacher and they're like, whoa, she is in this. This is important to her. This is why she's teaching us this. She's also teaching this to adults. So it's not just like the things that I teach to them. Sometimes I'll also teach to adults and because they never learned it. We didn't learn it in school. Like nobody taught them. So I 100% think that I notice that teachers who do see it more than a job because it's something that they're passionate about make a difference. It's just that extra something because it would be really easy to treat it as a job. I see people doing it all the time especially in the subject matter of PE, where it's just like somebody maybe shows up, does their thing, they're out. Because I will say this, if you want to be a PE teacher, it can be one of the easiest jobs in the world, in the teaching world, if you want it to be. I could just show up, have them place a couple things, and then still teach a standard and be on with my life. But because I care about it so much, it is a job. And I do make it harder for myself, but it's more meaningful that way. And I definitely want to lead by example. And I know the kids are watching and I experienced that in elementary school too, where I would notice that they would look at like what I eat and like the snacks that I have, like, and then they'd show up with the same snacks the next day. And I was like, this is wild. They are paying attention. So to me, it is important. It is part of my lifestyle, but I think that's what sets me apart and makes me love it so much. I love that. I especially really want to highlight the fact that you pointed out that it could be very easy to to do the job, show up, do the job and leave. And we've seen over the course of our careers that there are tons of educators like that. Unfortunately, you know, Common Core makes it easy because what Common Core originated with the, we're going to have these standardized standards where everyone's going to have the same thing and teach the same thing and blah, 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 blah. So here's a book for English. Here's a book for math. Here's a book for science. Teach what's in here. But what's happened is, is that we've created people who are coming out of college or teachers that have just been teaching from a book that they can't generate lesson plans on their own, that they're not receptive to society's pulse and culture and politics and things like that. And it becomes very myopic. Mm -hmm. Because you are immersed and you view your job as a lifestyle versus just a job, 
and that you're fully immersed in the work you're doing, absorbing the world and then funneling it into your course, you're creating these children that are going to be able to fulfill civic duty later on that are going to be able to go to a gym and be healthy and work out, or who are going to go to a supermarket and be able to make healthy choices and have salad for the first time at 15 versus 30. Mm-hmm. I'm always torn. Like when I ask people their opinions, like when I was in the classroom and facilitate discussions with my kids, I never shared how I felt because how I felt didn't matter. I want to be able to facilitate innovation in my students. And they would always ask me, miss, 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 how do you feel? I go, how I feel doesn't matter. My job here is to be able to conduct a discussion that's fruitful, that you can listen to other people, you can process what they're saying. And then if you don't agree with them, we're not going to cancel culture them unless they're Trump supporters. (laughs) (laughs) I have to throw that in there. (laughs) But but we're going to be able to understand how to agree to disagree and then find facts to support how we feel and where the information comes from matters. But Being able to empower our children is really important. And the fact that you are an enlightened, empowered person and you lead your life that way directly is reflected in your course. And this is really important because teachers, I've been saying this, I say this in my my doctoral program all the time. I say to people and my classmates that are listening to this are gonna laugh because this is my shtick that I say in class. If you are not down for the cause, get out of my profession. Yeah. This is a lifestyle. To be a great teacher is a lifestyle. Those kids are watching. What you do and how you behave and how you act beyond the classroom matters. I 1000% agree with you. And like, I think part of the reason that I'm able to see the importance of like, wow, they're really watching me is like, I will. And I know sometimes getting messages from them and they'll say, hey, I saw that you picked a word of the year for 2021. I'm going to do that too. This is my word. And I'm like, what? Oh my gosh, this is so cool. This is so cool. You are so ahead of where we were when I was your age. This is cool. So it really is important. And I think sometimes as educators, we feel like, oh, I got my degree. I got my credential. I go to PDs. I don't really need to do anymore. And I think that's what sets educators apart because on my own, like right now I'm going to start a nutrition program and go through like a nutrition course. I've also been taking like classes on my own. So, I mean, there's so many other certifications that I seek out on my own to make me a better teacher, even though it's not required of me, but I know it's going to help my students. Amazing. You're such a treasure. Your kids are so lucky to have you, but that message, I love that we keep coming back to it is so important. And that's what we hope to instill in our students, right? That desire to always be better, to up-level, to improve, to grow. I'm 38 years old. I didn't need to go get a doctorate, but I was like, you know, I don't like what's happening in my field. I want to be able to enact change in policy and things like that. It's not going to happen unless I go ahead and take some action. I can sit here and complain about it all I want, but I need to go ahead and take action. And you know, the craziest thing is, when I posted on social media that I was going back to school and I'm like going to cry about it and get really teary eyed. The comments on my page weren't from family. They were from my students, former students my heart (laughs) about how proud they were of me and how I'm going to kick ass at USC. And that they're, they're like, that's my teacher. And I'm like, and that's me when I'm at their graduation. I'm like, that's my baby. (laughs) Yes. 
Yes, it's so true. And it's just like, it's such a beautiful thing when like, like you, like, I'm so proud of you for going back and you are such an important voice and the education world needs your voice. And I I love that you are doing this because we need you. And I think that's why you and I connected because I feel like I want to have that impact in physical education and health in our school district and really change what we teach because our kids just need so much more. They are underprepared and they deserve better. Absolutely. So I want to transition because, I mean, we're kind of talking a lot about how the lifestyle aspect of our role or your role and how we both share that commonality. But I'm curious, I know the answer, but my listeners don't. Um, But do you have a preferred method? And this is personal of eating something that you might adhere to because there's so many things that are out there keto, paleo, detoxing, whole 30, intermittent fasting and things like that. Is there something that you adhere to or have any strong feelings either way about? No, there isn't. First of all, I hate diets. They make me very angry in terms of I'm not a good person to ever be on a diet. (laughs) I get just very upset feeling restricted. Right now I'm actually currently healing from SIBO, that small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And I'm kind of on a prescription eating plan. I guess you could say I'm working with a nutritionist. And while I'm grateful to be healing, there are days I get very upset because sometimes I just want to go get Thai food. So no, I'm a firm believer and I'm very grateful for my mother for instilling this in me was just a well-balanced food. You want dessert, you have dessert, eat your veggies, just vary it up all colors of the rainbow. So like, I never felt restricted. I was never told something was bad. And it's just that all in moderation. And that's what's just helped me and kept me sane. I did try to go paleo when I started CrossFit and did that whole spiel. And no, (laughs) I mean, does it everyone? And it was just one of those things, like, I think I lasted a week or two and I just had to stop. I felt so weak. And especially because I was training hard and I was like, this is not for me. I just didn't like how I felt. So I've just found that for the most part, I never feel great doing all these fad diets. And I always feel my best when I just allow myself, if I want to go to this place and get a burger and fries, I'm going to do it. I'm really good at listening to my body. I know intuitive eating gets thrown around a lot and people still are learning to understand it, but that's definitely the approach I would say. I can tell when my body's like, oh my gosh, I really want a Chipotle burrito. It's like, wow, you probably need some carbs right now. Like you had a hard workout. You go get that burrito. (laughs) Well, I want to interrupt you and point out though, is that people need to learn how to eat intuitively. Like intuitively isn't like, hmm, I feel like pizza for the 17th time today. I'm going to go get more pizza, but it's recognizing the cues of I want a burrito. I worked really hard. My body's probably glycogen deficient and says, I want carbohydrates, Mm -hmm. right? But that is about education and awareness. And what a lot of people are doing is like they're mislabeling or using intuitive eating. And I think it's getting a really bad rep. I don't eat intuitively. It doesn't work for me because my body's cues are always carbs, Mm. always carbs. And my body, even though like I need to increase my carbohydrate intake because of my expenditure, my body doesn't do well on a high carbohydrate diet. It struggles to metabolize them. That's my body. And I've learned this through a tremendous amount of struggle that this is what my body is, but it doesn't work for me in that aspect because all my body says is carbs all the time, all the time. 
Exactly. Like you pointed out, it would be ridiculous if I was like pizza every night. That's what my body wants. It's like, okay, chill. You know, like, what do you really need? Oh, okay. Like maybe I need some sweet potatoes or some chicken. This goes back to like kids learning from parents, learning from a parent who like didn't restrict or diet herself. It was just like a good model for me to kind of just pick and choose how I eat now. And I never feel bad if I want a cookie, but you know, I make sure I have my veggies and I drink my water and I do, you know, just like balance. And that's definitely something I'm not going to be one to tell my students how to eat. I'm just here to present options and to present nutritional facts and science. And that's where it lays with me. (laughs) I am I love that you said science. That's a remarkable thing that unfortunately in the last 10 months, people seem to to not want to accept. What is science? (laughs) (laughs) It's like those signs that you see on people's lawns that it's like, we believe in science here. (laughs) Uh And I have to laugh at myself because I'm like, is this what we're reduced to is now I have to say, I believe in science. That's why I wear a mask. And also global warming is real. (laughs) Seriously. Why are these things that we have to say? So do you see evidence in your, your students that you serve? Is there any evidence of the impact that society has regarding nutrition? I don't know how deep you delve into it with your students, but is there evidence of like disordered eating or misinformation from the age of the influencer of this is what I eat in a day. I have coffee for a meal. Coffee is not a meal, but I have, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I definitely noticed as soon as I started working there, I remember having students come up to me. It was a six, I think she was probably in sixth grade, a young student. And the first thing she said was, what do I need to do exercise wise or food wise so that I can make my thighs smaller? And I was just like, what? It was just a reminder that like, wow, Yes, social media and society and all of these pressures still exist and they are still filtering down. That has definitely been a challenging piece because it's just always something that breaks my heart because I know that we have dealt with this, our other generations have dealt with this and like you want to break that cycle. So I think that's kind of where my role comes in and just providing this education and just showing, I'll show them videos on influencers and the what I eat in a day and why that's garbage and like how we have different bodies and you can't possibly eat the same thing that somebody else eats. So like really exposing all this stuff. So I definitely pull in a lot from mainstream media and culture stuff that to show them like, Hey, let's break this down. We'll go as far as showing like Photoshop filtered images and things like that to just really show them like what they're looking at and what's being presented to them. We talk about skinny teas. We talk about people getting paid for things and showing them like, hey, this is what a brand deal is. Maybe what somebody you're looking at is getting paid to show you this food that they think you should eat. And just really breaking that down for them so that they are critical consumers. So that's a lesson I do too. And we always talk about being a critical consumer and tying that into health and fitness as well. What's remarkable to me about these things that you're teaching your kids is they're such valuable experiences and skills to function the world that I was going to say landscape, but I already said that, but it's such a crucial aspect of the world that we navigate now. This is the new normal, right? I grew up in an era without cell phones and without social media. Thank God. I, I'm just a year behind you. So yes. (laughs) Okay. So like you get it. And I'm like, I look at our kids right now and I'm like, it is a travesty to have your whole life broadcast from the time you were born 
forever, whether you want it to be or not. Parents are starting social media for their children when they're born and they document it for them. Like the kid's going to become a sentient being. It's going to be like, I didn't want you to do that. Why did you do that? You know, so it's a different world. You're empowering them in ways that they are probably not getting anywhere else. I think one of the biggest issues I have with education as a whole is we demand the kids to think critically in the world that we live in, but don't teach them how to critically navigate the world they're living in. Totally. I 100% agree with you. And I think when I started this new position, that was one of the things that was so important to me. It was like, I need to bring in the real world into our classroom. They're not two separate things. It needs to be brought in. They need to see these examples. We need to talk about things going on. We need to see these experiences, even talking about queer athletes. And it's just so many different things, like issues that we need to expose them to and to discuss and just to be open about. And it's been really, really cool to be somebody doing this, but it's hard because I know I'm only one person. And I think, wow, like how amazing would this be if this was for more students? So that's definitely something I'm figuring out of like how to get this out to more people. And that's one of my goals, but it's definitely challenging because as you know, like people kind of get set in their ways and they don't want to learn more and they don't want to expose themselves to learning and from different sources. And they just, yeah, it's hard. It's hard. You mentioned, you mentioned previously how you ask your students for feedback every semester. And that's a critical part and piece that a lot of educators are lacking and missing. To ask for feedback is to be vulnerable. To ask for feedback says, I want to change and I want to grow and I don't know it all and I need you. Teaching is about reciprocity. It is not about I am the best and I know it all because I'm older and I'm smarter and I have more education than you. And maybe I'm white and my skin color plays a role in that because of my privilege. Right. And that's Mm -hmm. been a whole huge issue for a very long time, especially in education about the white male teacher and privilege and things like that. I don't want to digress, but the thing is, it's a reciprocity. It is a synergy. Our relationship, teacher and student, student and teacher, we learn and grow from each other, through each other, with each other. You're doing that innately and organically on your own. A lot of that comes from the fact that you're an athlete. And I think being an athlete myself as well, I'm constantly reflecting, evolving. How can I be better? Because everything I do is competitive. Like I'm a competitive teacher. I wasn't going to be a teacher to be good. I was going to be the best. I was going to be great at what I did. And it took anything and everything to be the best within my world, right? But we're trying to ask people to be reflective who have never been reflective because to be reflective means to be vulnerable and to admit where you may have shortcomings. Mm -hmm. I believe that we're headed in the right direction. And with people like you at the helm, change can and will happen. The more people who hear what you're doing, who know what you're doing, who know that there are these educators that are reforming the world that exists. It's getting that ball. Once something's in motion, right? It stays in motion. That is the hope. So now we're we're getting the ball rolling, all pun intended, right? But it's tough because I coach teachers that are later on in their career. And part of the standards in the teaching learning framework is reflection. And many of the teachers I work with struggle to identify the effectiveness of a lesson. Well, how do you think it went? I think it went great. And I was like, really? 
what's your marker for that? Oh, a kid participated. I was like, okay. And that's not devaluing or putting anyone down. It's just that there's, we don't know how to truly and honestly reflect. And 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 we also don't know how to say like when something didn't go well. Yeah. And it's, it's so important. And like, it's funny too, because I think sometimes people are like, I don't know what to teach or what kind of lesson should I plan? It's like, ask your kids how easy you ask a question. They tell you what you want to learn, like go from there. Like you don't have to put it all on you, but like, there's definitely times where like, I had this great lesson in mind and it was still a good lesson, but maybe there was like a component that was off. Maybe I think I did something that was a two week challenge and that was definitely too much for them. So I was like, okay, reflecting back, we do like one week or we Mm -hmm. do three days and it's like, okay, cool. Now my lesson is better, but it does. It takes that piece of really caring and looking to see like, oh, what could have gone differently? What could have gone better? And it's It's so important in any aspect, whether you're a teacher or not, giving yourself that opportunity to just sit back and put your ego aside. I know we all want to be the best, but it's like, that's what helps us. And also sometimes we're hard on ourselves. Like sometimes I will get hard on myself and I'm like, you know, am I doing a good job building community in this class? I don't know. And I will feel really hard about it and bad about it. And that was one of the reflection questions I asked on the end of semester. And a lot of them had great things to say. And I was like, all this time I thought, oh, maybe I'm not good at this. And then they all had great things. So like, that was affirming for me to be like, okay, maybe that's something that was good. And you thought it wasn't, but okay, here we are. That's another important piece, right? Is that sometimes when we look and we think that something wasn't successful or we didn't like how it was executed, that it was actually received really well. I think the The part for me that resonates, because I was very, very similar when I was in the classroom to you, is my classroom, every year my curriculum changed. Every semester it changed because I was fully taking in what my kids were giving me and adjusting based upon their level, their enthusiasm, their interests and things like that. My books changed every year, every semester. And that's why I was very careful every year when I wrote my syllabi. I had books that I was going to teach, but I also made sure to put the notation because of the world that we live in now. I've had lawyers, parent lawyers come in and be like, ah, with my syllabus about like teacher reserves the right to change the syllabus without notification, da, 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 whatever notice, because I had a book planned that didn't fit with what was happening culturally in the world. I used to really like to mirror what was happening in society through the literature so that we can learn and grow and have constructive conversations and productive struggle so that I could create students that could then go into the world and understand what was happening. You talk about what's happening right now, especially with the election, but backing up a little to Black Lives Matter, there is so much remarkable literature out there for teachers to read on their own about how to create an anti-racist classroom, but also books to bring in to read with your kids and for literature circles that are about BIPOC people, about Mm -hmm. students that are coming from a completely different world than what they're reading on their AP list. Like Huck Finn, don't get me wrong. I had to teach Huck Finn, but I made sure to teach Huck Finn juxtaposed to Toni Morrison. Yeah. And I'm, I'm like you, my curriculum changes every semester maybe there's something that like, I'll take an element of and do it again. But like, kind of like you were saying, pivoting and switching. And like, I want to talk about access and different things. But we did a lesson on a group called Black Girls Surf. And it's about a group of Black women who are opening a safe community for Black surfers. 
And that was so cool for my students to see because we just had so many powerful discussions of like, why don't we see more black surfers? Let's dig deeper in talking about the athletes that we see and who are the ones we see going now to the Olympics or this or that. And it was just so powerful to like have these conversations about athletes as well in like spaces of, hmm, why, why don't we see more of this group in that group, you know? And like, I also told them about Latinx surfer clubs that I found. And it's just really interesting to bring that in. And that's why like no two lessons will ever be the same because if you're kind of taking in what you're learning from the outside too, and like you said, being culturally relevant, like at that time, it's going to change. And like, there's even times where like, I'll have something planned we're going to do a boxing workout today and I'll kind of read the room and I'll have them type in the zoom chat because we're still distance teaching. And I'm like, how are we feeling today? What is your energy on like a level one to five? And some of them be like one, I'm like, cool, we'll do yoga today. Boom, pivot. But you have to have that in your toolbox. Yes. Something you said about the surfing hit me really hard. And this is like, cause I'm living in this world. My program at SC is very, very, very progressive. And I absolutely love it because it is like, it speaks to my heart. And I'm like, you made this program for me. Like you literally wrote okay. it for Ariel yeah. Millie. By the way, I am a graduate from SC too. So I'm very excited you're there. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's so exciting. So I think about like redlining, but I also think about, you think about surfing, right? Barrier to entry. You and I talked earlier before we started recording the call about cycling people who surf and to get good at it, you have to surf often. And most of those people live near the beach. Well, living near the beach is really expensive. And where yep. do our children live? Inland, mm -hmm. away from the yep. beach. And what do you need to surf? A surfboard. Well, surfboards, hundreds of dollars to buy, but a basketball, 10 bucks, a soccer ball, 10 bucks, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, for cycling, because I'm a road cyclist, at least that's what I'm doing right now. We talked about this earlier. To get a bike is thousands. You cannot go into a bike shop with 200 bucks and say, I want a bike. They're going to laugh at you. So it's about access barrier to entry. Why don't we see black cyclists, Latinx cyclists, women cycling because of the barrier to entry. So I love that there's organizations that are these like woke organizations that are really trying to give kids these access and opportunity. I taught in the MacArthur Park area for the majority of my career. I can't even begin to tell you how many students I had that were born and raised in Los Angeles and had never been to the beach. Yeah, it's crazy. I also have taught in same areas of LA and a little outside of that, more like the Hollywood area. Same thing. I had some kid that never went to the beach, never been on a plane, never left the city. It was just interesting. Haven't ever seen snow. We are an hour from Mountain High and Big Bear. One hour. Well, Great. So they haven't seen snow or we talk about snowboarding and skiing again, another sport barrier to entry mm -hmm. is very high. So yeah. much so in fact that when I grew up and I grew up on the East coast in New York, I grew up in a very, very blue collar, modest home. We took a trip to Cancun, Mexico, every Thanksgiving, every year as a family of four, it was cheaper for our family to go to Mexico for a week than it was for us to go skiing and snowboarding at a lodge that we could drive to for three days. Wow. That's what my, and when I was a kid, it was so funny because growing up, people were like, oh my God, you're rich. And I was like laughing because my father was out of work. And I said this in my last episode that there was bankruptcy and my father's business had gone bankrupt. And like, he was my stay at home dad and used to get me ready for school and things like that. Everyone's like, oh, you're rich. And I was just like, my parents saved 
their yeah. asses off, but also like, that's what we did. Instead of you go skiing, I go to Mexico. What? Yeah. <laughs> but it's a bigger conversation. So as we wrap this up, because I feel like we could talk forever about talk these for like days. <laughs> I know, I know. And I always like dance this fine line because especially when I get fellow educators on yes. that I'm like, oh and my God. World. So I feel like that's why you and I could talk for days. I know, I know. Because whenever I meet another educator who has like certifications and teaches group fitness and understands, and we talked about this earlier too, and I wish that we got to it earlier in the podcast, but like group fitness and education share so much in yeah. common. And I know that before we had gotten on the call to record it, I had said to you that being a yoga instructor made me a better English teacher. And I think that that's a really valuable thing that I want people to hear is I became a better English educator to my students when I went through my yoga teacher training and started to teach yoga because there was this shift of recognizing that people walked through the door of my yoga studio in their stretchy pants, in their sports bras, at their complete and uttermost vulnerable, insecure, and needing, craving, and wanting something. And ultimately, a lot of people find yoga at a point in their life when they are searching and seeking or repairing harm and things like that, or pain and sorrow. And I looked at my kids and I remember sitting back in my classroom being like, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. These kids are coming to me in the same exact position. And I have a moral and ethical responsibility to uplift them. Yeah. And I love that you made that connection and it's so true. And that's how I feel, especially teaching PE and health, because it's a vulnerable place. You're asked to like change into PE clothes and then you have to like move your body or do this or do that. It's like a lot of kids are uncomfortable. There's teenagers, they're going through puberty, like they're figuring themselves out and to ask them to be vulnerable and to, to do things for me. It's a lot of trust and I I don't take it lightly. So I agree with you. I definitely think my experience in the fitness world has made me a better PE and health educator. So the fact that you honor that and respect that is so important on the last note, what is one thing about your work your career, your messaging, because you have so much incredible things. Your your social media, I know I've mentioned this to you before, is one of my favorite accounts in the entire world. I'm like, oh my God, can I just fangirl? Can I like everything? Can I always react to your stuff? I absolutely adore the things that you're such a beacon of light for people that are really in the world that we're living in a super dark right now. It's really wonderful to have people like you educating your youth and out there putting out great content. What is one thing you want people to take away from this interview and this conversation? If you could send that message to them. I think something that kind of came up for me is just when you really care about something and you want to create change, it shows and your students can feel it. People around you can feel it. I think people can see how much you care. So if there is something that you are so passionate about and you want to create change in that space, whether it's education, like whatever it is, think of whatever your thing is, it beams out of you. Embrace it and just know that like it's something that people can see. They can tell if it's authentic. That's definitely something that kind of popped up for me during our convo. (laughs) Amazing. What is the best way people could follow you, get in touch with you, kind of absorb your awesome? How can they do that? Uh 
So I'm mostly on the grams. So you can find me on Instagram at the pretty little lifters. I also have a website, prettylittlelifters.com. And my email is linked on my Instagram, but it is info at the pretty Please say hello. I love engaging with people. Yeah. Come say hi. Awesome. That stuff will be in the show notes as well. So don't worry if you're driving and you're, you can't write it down and you're like, it is a missed and lost opportunity, but <laughs> Tiffany's information will be in the show notes. And if you should forget or miss it, you can always reach out to me on Instagram at Ariel underscore Miller, and I will pass along Tiffany's information so that you can get in touch with her. I want to thank you so much for taking the time to share yourself with me and my listeners I cannot thank you enough from the bottom of my heart. I mean it truly authentically and in earnest for the work you do with our kids. And I'm so glad that I got to do this with you and celebrate you because that's what this podcast is. Tiffany, I'm going to cry because I'm very emotional, but it is a celebration that you deserve of the work that you're doing with our kids because our system is broken and it needs people like you. And I'm very emotional, very emotional about it because I love what we do because it is a lifestyle for me. I thank you so much for saying that. And I appreciate you so much. And I think that's why we connect so much as humans, because I can see it in you. Like I can see that you want to create change. You're doing it with your work, with this podcast, with your platform, you going to get your doctorate, you're doing it. So it just warms my heart to see other people out there also wanting to create change because we're doing it for the kids. And I just think there's nothing more beautiful than like trying to create space for the next generation to thrive. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you listeners for tuning into this episode of Leveling Up with Ariel Miller. It has been a pleasure and an honor as always. Love you, mean it. Mwah.